Gaming NBS episode 178 coming to you Wednesday, February 14th. Day of love. Welcome to Gaming NBS Tabletop RPG Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. How's it going, Sean? It's going, Brett. That's awesome. It's going. It's you still going. Gonna, you still going to make Gary count with me? Ah, yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, so if you back out, people will be sad. Really? Just, just you know, I think Ray, um, Ray Otis is going to be there. Lots of cool people. What? Man. Yeah. It's crazy. Get your ass there. Get your ass to Gary Khan. Exactly. Oh, and speaking of other things announcement-wise, because we kind of jumped into that there without any honestly God preamble, um, I have... Um, <laughs> I was giving myself shit, and Sean has given me the same shit around... Um, you know, rereading some of the rule books. So I went through and I cracked open my 5e DMG and uh, I got to the last third, chapters 8 and 9. And by God, there's some damn good stuff in there. Um, sanity, madness, um, alternate ways to uh, for spellcasting points instead of slots and other cool shit. So it's one of those things a lot of times in the DMG, after having read an umpteen number of Dungeons & Dragons Dungeon Master's Guides, over the years, you kind of assume a lot of the stuff is very much the same. And um, it's it's just neat to see some of the things like, boy, I wonder if I could make it do this. Oh, wow, there's already a thing in here that already does that. Kevin and I were uh, chatting about it because he's going to run an Avalon game for me, uh, Chris, Emily, and uh, Tom uh, once we're done recording our uh, our Dresden Files thing. So it was interesting to, to go through it and uh, look it over. So... I mentioned this on the show. I just wanted to say I did uh, take my own advice on that one and cracked open that book and rereading some of it. I'm like, God damn, there's some cool stuff in there. I don't have to modify a few things. I can actually take this piece and use it myself. So that's kind of nice. That's someone, cra- did, someone did the work for me. That's crazy. Now I know. <laughs> that's just nuts. I'm used to having to beat the shit out of stuff myself, so it's nice that I don't have to. That's nice. Right. All right. You got a little oh, pal- you got a little Paladin Hood for us this week. We do have Paladin Hood. All right. I have uh Henry Grady from Heroes and Adventures out of Nova Scotia, Canada doing some good work. Worthy of Paladin Hood. Very cool. All right, let's go there. Do it. All right. Welcome to Paladin Hood where we highlight gamers and people helping others through the use of tabletop games. I'm with Henry Grady today from Heroes and Adventures. Welcome to Paladin Hood, Henry. Thanks, Sean. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little about now. I, I ran into Henry online through Twitter. He followed us, and I looked at the highlight of their Twitter account, and it said, Heroes and Adventurers is a safe and all-inclusive recreation program using tabletop role-playing games to help people develop critical life skills. And I said, I got to know more about this. I got to see if I can get them on the podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about that, Henry? What's that all mean? A lot of people, you know, we sit down, we play tabletops, you know, we play D&D, whatever. Um, you don't realize that you're gaining a whole lot of social learning through doing that i mean your math skills improve your writing reading comprehension that stuff improves but you get social skills out of it too so you get like team building uh leadership your critical thinking problem solving 
all of that stuff falls into that play-based learning idea. So you don't really realize you're learning because you're having fun. So it's not like going to school where you're like, oh, I'm going to... I'm going to read a book and I'm going to learn some stuff. It's like, no, I'm going to go here and I'm going to play a game. And over time, that game is actually going to help me develop some really critical life skills that I can use in the real world outside of the gaming room. We've uh, we've been developing our program steadily since 2013. So when you are looking for players or game masters or both, um, are you guys playing? Are you guys only playing D and D, or what? What game are you guys? We've got currently. Let's see if I can. I hope I don't forget anything because we do have a little bit of everything going. Uh, I just wrapped a Dungeon World campaign. Um, we've got we've had guys running Pathfinder. We've had guys running Star Wars. We've had basically any any tabletop game we can get our hands on, we will run. Uh, we currently have a Fate table going. Um, I think one or two Savage Worlds campaigns going. And then homebrew stuff, other stuff. Um, we have one young guy who's joining one of our kids' tables who actually hacked 5e to play Voltron. <laughs> <laughs> Which is cool. If I, I was like, that's that's awesome. If you want to do it, do it. So, um, But yeah, we, we, we're open to any, any type of game that we can get our hands on. And we do look for... Um, you take some time and read through them and look for ways that games that really facilitate what we want to do so where we want to build these these critical skills so we look to games that focus more on that than say metagaming or anything like that where you're going to just try to build the best possible character and so you can kill the most stuff and acquire the most treasure that's not really what the direction we want to go in we want to get more to the uh using your skills to to problem solve situations and stuff like that so when you look for players or uh, game masters, are you looking for anybody specific? Like, is this targeted towards uh, young young folks, um, young adults? Does it? Do you have a t- target demographic? Um, we're open to anyone, and and we we want to keep it that way because we want to be able to build that community from young to old. Our focus is on youth, um, getting youth involved in youth, and to get into uh, into tabletop gaming or to get and get them out and get them social. We do have quite a bit of focus on our youth youth gaming program, um, and we've been developing that steadily for the past year or so. Uh, we only actually got our first children's table in 2016, which really gave us the idea to to pursue that more. So as for like, we will welcome anyone, we'll figure out a place to put you, we'll figure out, we'll give you all the supplies you need, teach you everything you need, uh, need to know. So if, you're, if somebody wants to come in and volunteer, and they have no idea how to play D&D, that's not a big deal. We can we can find you something to do. Now, you are located in Nova Scotia, Canada. Yep. And you guys posted this as a service learning opportunity. Is there significance uh, with understanding that it's a component of that? Um, there There is, because um, locally our community college has a, uh, has a human services uh, diploma program in it. Um, for basically all aspects of human services for like the frontline workers so part of their learning requirement is that service learning uh, component and we offer that and it can be used through like even a teacher's assistance or educational assistance to further their their number of hours for uh, their next level so we, we do focus on if we can get people with that human services background to come in, 
then we can use them. Basically, we want to exploit their skills because they have a skill set that is unique to to exactly what we're doing, and it's nice to be able to get some people in to do that. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, and, and a lot of I, I simply put that out there because. I don't know in a lot of other countries if it's how people will relate to understanding um, what that tie-in is. Is there something that you have to work with, like the government, in order to meet certain curriculum in order to be a service learning opportunity? Um, we've got our nonprofit society status, um, and with our documentation, we we do require like I think. Our biggest things are like kernel background checks and um, just a number of hours I think is required. I'm not 100% sure how the, how it all works. That's more of a John's field of, of stuff. He sets it up. and But as far as I know, as long as we're meeting um, government standards, so uh, kernel record checks, background checks, um, creating a safe space, so no bullying, no... You know, ageism, racism, any of that, all of that is not allowed. Um, and as long as we're following those guidelines and principles, and we can, we can, and it's hard to quantify what we do and put it on paper, but we do document over time, like improvements with certain players and and how they've come to advance beyond where they were. Uh, and we've had guys like uh, go from really. I don't want to say nonverbal because they were verbal. They were just really, really quiet. Like guys who don't talk openly in public who have gone on to, you know, a year later, they run a full table with a full group of people. And if you, anybody who's ever DM knows you can't be a quiet DM. That, that doesn't work. So they're, they're game leading, they're leading role they, and they take on a leadership role. So it really pushes them out of their shell and pulls them, gives them the confidence they need to to further develop that. So how many folks are actually involved in in the actual heroes and adventures, kind of what I would consider like staff folks? Uh, so like our volunteers, I, I, I want to say we're right around, I think, 15 volunteers now uh, in total because got, we've got nine game leaders. Um, I think around six game coaches, our leadership coach, and then three program leaders. So myself, John Hutt, and... Uh, Gorda Hearn, who are program leaders, so we kind of do all the bureaucratic side of everything. So, what is the what is the difference between the a game a coach and a game leader? So, a game leader would be your typical DM or, or GM. They're your guys running the tables, and then your coaches both they act as players and then in game coaches. So they they're guiding the other players on what they can do, what are some good options. Um, and they're not to the, it's not to the extent like, don't do that, that's a bad idea. It's like, think about the consequences if you do do that. So it's not, we won't tell you not to do something, we'll let you do that, but their idea there is to kind of get them to maybe think about their actions before they make them, and to help with character creation, stuff like that for new players. Um, game coaches, I have one, um, she sits pretty much right beside me every game and she's a bit of a co-DM. She'll throw me hooks if things are getting dry, which really helps as a DM, but she's also there to help players, so she's guiding them. Um, we have a system of host rules that are enforced by game leaders and game coaches, so 
not like traditional host rules where they're gameplay focused, but they're more behavioral focused. So what kind of what we expect and what we want to see from players as the night goes on or as they're playing. So what was the what's what's the story behind uh, Heroes and Adventures? Where did where did the idea come from? Um, like I said, John Hutt was he worked for Canadian Mental Health at the time, um, and he basically. I think he started out in the back of the lo- local game store then, which was the uh, Batters Box, which had been around since we were all teenagers around here. Um, so he started out one night there. They asked him to run 4E. Um, he came in and he started running it, him and one other guy. And John, being from that uh, human services background, was like, I can use this. I can use this for programming. I can use this to further develop the skills that I'm trying to get out of my clientele. So he went from there, started working with CM, uh, the Mental Health Association. Got the we got he got some funding there to buy books, dice, whatever, and started to develop the program. And, and very slowly at first, like so, they went from like I think when they first moved to, to mental health, they jumped from six players who were playing at the local game shop to 12 players instantly and grew steadily up to, I think they were around 25 players when they left uh, Canadian Mental Health, which was right around the time I joined. So, but like I said, John having his, uh, his own daughter has some learning disabilities and autism. So he started seeing that he was also working with some folks with autism and realized that, wait, this really, really works. He saw, and there's articles too, right? There's a lot of articles that float around online and, and different major publications about the benefits of tabletop gaming. And it's like, well, we should be using that. And where we're at, we're in a, a fairly small town. Like, I think we're around 30,000 people. So we don't have a lot of those resources readily available. So if you want them, you can either go beg somebody to do it for you or you can go do it yourself. Now, this is all, all face-to-face for the most part, correct, Henry? This is all face-to-face for the most part, yep. Uh, how can others help? How do you? What are you looking for for help? Is it is it uh, money, resources? What does that look like? Uh, uh, money's always good. Um, uh, anybody who wants to donate to us can actually donate to Colchester East Hans Public Library and just put it market for Heroes and Adventurers, and then we can you get a full tax donation because it's a library. So it's a, it, they're an actual charity and we're just, we're a partner with them. So we run programs through them. Um, we can always use volunteers, supplies, I mean, dice or dice and books are always in short supply. Um, we do try to keep everything 100% free. So if you're coming in to play with us, we don't want you to have that 90 to a hundred dollar upfront cost to play D and D. But so so time-wise, when do you guys do this? What if I were to show up and say, well, I'm, I'm interested, I'll just can I just show up? Yeah, you can just show up. Uh, we run Tuesday nights at the Truro Library from 5.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Anybody's welcome to come out. And if you want to just, if people just want to come out and observe, more than welcome to. Um, that's one of our big things is we're very, uh, very open to people come, dropping in and checking us out and seeing what we're doing and what we're all about. But yeah, if you want to fly up from Wisconsin and drop in, all power to you, brother. <laughs> I would love to get to Canada, man. There's a lot of people I know up there that are really, really good people, and uh, I wish I could get up there and just hop from one town to the next <laughs> and just meet some of the folks I've met online. So it's good. I'm, um, I'm glad our Canadian people are representing well. <laughs> oh, of course, it's the it's the nice, you know, the niceties of of those that are Canada for sure. Yeah. 
So, uh, do you guys, Henry? Do you guys make the the parents uh, sign anything specific, any waivers or any, um, anything like that? We we give them a copy of our house rules, um, so they have a behavioral expectation. We're working on a waiver. Like I said, we've only been we've only had the kids program up and running since last fall, so it's still getting things figured out. But yeah, we we give them a copy of our house rules so they know what we're we're expecting from their kids. Well, excellent. That's great stuff. We're going to have links to the um, Facebook page and the Twitter handle uh, for Heroes and Adventures if you're interested. Um, can they just reach out through one of those channels then for yeah, you, Henry? Yeah, I, I am I'm connected all the time. Uh, everything's run through my personal cell phone, so if you message me on Twitter, I'm pretty I think I'm pretty quick to respond. And yeah, anybody who wants to either get involved or if you want to talk to us about how we're doing what we're doing and, and tips and whatever you want to discuss that kind of stuff on how to do this yourself in your own town, we are more than happy to help because we think it would be great to see this go global. Um, see every town have something like this available for their youth and their, their general public. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Henry, and letting us know about Heroes and Adventures. Again, we'll have links in the show notes for everybody to take a look at that. A cause certainly worthy of paladinhood. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you for having us. Um, It was great. Excellent. Excellent stuff. This is very cool. It is. I love hearing about this stuff. People just doing, (coughs) excuse me, doing good things with uh, the gaming hobby and helping improve others and helping other people, you know, just uh, get better at life. That's just awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Thanks, Henry, for being on the show, of course, uh, as always. Uh, We'll have links in the show notes to a couple of their online resources. So if you're in the Nova Scotia area uh, or you feel like contributing or helping to folks in the Nova Scotia area, um, we'll have that info. So there, yeah, great. Very cool. Yeah. Shall we random encounter? Random encounter. All right. Random, random. Maybe not so random. Well, we've got Blake Ryan up first, so I'll start here. G'day, do we want fellas. to do Blake? Do we want to do you want... Blake first or voicemail? Oh, t- oh, yeah, I forgot the voicemail. Do the voicemail. Right. Hit it. Right. We'll right. do that. Blake, just hold on, brother. We'll get right, right. to you. Right. One second. Okay, one second. Listened to episode. Oh, I got to start that uh, over. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Hello, you. Hello, you. Blast it all. Hello, you sexy BSers. It's Stefan Dragonspawn again. And I just listened to episode uh, 176 about sanity and almost lost my mind on it. (laughs) Not really. And while it was fresh in my mind, I just thought that I'd weigh in on this. And I think you may have forgotten or skipped over maybe a possibility on other systems. Uh, Most of the Cthulhu Mythos RPG games out there or even... Ravenloft will have some kind of mechanic or system to deal with sanity or insanity, including Warhammer uh, Fantasy. Uh, Some of the other popular D20 systems, including uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Pathfinder, etc., you could, without tacking on any additional mechanic, you could use fear. A lot of creatures have, like, Dragons will inspire fear. Uh, it could lead to some kind of in, insanity or mental problems. Uh, if you're faced with a 
a mind flayer ripping your friend's brain from their heads, uh, like you, Brett likes to mention, he seems, um, that could definitely cause you to to be afraid of things that would would cause, you know, uh, that you encounter even if you just see a squid for sale in the market or some fish, uh, you suddenly, all, even that smell uh, could in, uh, instigate flashbacks and so forth. Um, and even in savage worlds, uh, in systems that are fantasy-based, um, you have fear as well. So uh, you encounter a ghost, specters, certain types of monsters will have the fear uh, monstrous ability, which forces the players to make a, a spirit check, and that can cause phobias, scars, uh, permanent mental scars. It's not necessarily a system that's tacked on. Uh, it's already in there, maybe simply not fleshed out as much as uh, as a Cthulhu uh, setting. So I just thought I'd uh, add that in. Uh, that was a fairly good point. And even some settings like Imago Mortis, which is uh, a horror kind of setting as well, deals with sanity a little different way with... They even have a diagram, like a three-armed spiral. And whenever you fail it, I won't go into the exact details, but there can be various effects, like having nightmares, uh, being a little slower on the uptake. Oh, and then he, unfortunately, he, he cut off, and then he called Damn. back in. I've got the rest. Um, okay, cool. I see. I guess I rambled on a bit too long there. I'm sorry. But just to wrap up real quickly, um, the Imago Mortis does have a, a slightly different way of dealing with insanity, which is kind of cool as well. Uh, if you want to look into uh, into it, it's a Savage World setting by uh, Grammel Publishing. So anyway, uh, enjoyed the episode immensely, liked the banter, and... Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to see you guys at a convention eventually, both of you, and we'll see about that. And keep on uh, gaming. Good night and good gaming, all. All right. You know, Stefan had a really good point, and I didn't think to bring it up, is fear. Even um, you know, dragon fear and other and spells like that and so on in a game system that doesn't necessarily have sanity a lot of them have a fear mechanic of some kind even if it's only from a spell or a monster so if you don't want to create a mechanic <coughs> excuse me a brand new sanity mechanic or a tracker in that way finding out how the game you're playing deals with fear and then using that more uh, more often when you run into something that should you know, in a Cthulhu game, you go, oh my god, I see this thing, therefore I am going insane. You can simply use the fear mechanic to help uh, to help uh, use that P. I like that. I hadn't thought about that. That's very cool. Thank you, Stefan. Yeah, thanks, Stefan. <clears throat> All right. Now, Blake. There we go. Blake Ryan. Good day, fellas. Uh, adversarial GMs. As part, of, uh, as part of the Game Master's job to entertain and challenge the players. If the challenges are too easy, the players will get bored and not pursue their goals. If I, I've, <coughs> excuse me, I've had GMs who only do hard encounters instead of a variety of easy, medium, and hard encounters. And this is no fun either. I need to balance success with the, with the reality that some stuff in the world is too powerful right now. 
If you're running Ravenloft or Dark Sun, the majority of NPCs or creatures will screw you over in some way, given the opportunity. Some players may see this as adversarial, but really you are playing the competitive nature of the setting. However, the players can use the NPCs or monster groups against each other, too. As Brett mentioned, part of the problem is the perception of adversarial GMs is the lack of setting the scene or fleshing out the story before the encounter. <coughs> Excuse me. Bad example. Dragon rocks up within 60 feet of the party. Party presumes I can take it on, and some characters die. Players howl, adversarial GM. Good example. Several days ago, the characters heard about a dragon in the area while chatting in the village. A day later, the herbalist offers a potion versus dragon breath or cloak of invisibility cheap because they are leaving the area. Then, while traveling, the dragon is spotted grabbing some cattle. Now you've had three bits of information to let you know this dragon is nasty, and you need to use tactics. The flip side is no dragon in their right mind is going to land in front of the party before they have picked off a few PCs or softened them up with a breath weapon. Uh, they live for a long time for a reason. Another issue is people think, it's okay, it's uh, okay, it's evil, it will try to destroy you. In reality, many intelligent foes will go, okay, you fought your way down here, so you must be competent. How about I offer you a truce and a bunch of treasure uh, so you can go slay a mutual enemy? This is more realistic for their intelligence, and recurring foes make a better story. Some game masters metagame information to screw over their players. But this would mean the NPCs take precautions um, that, that counter the preparation the characters do, despite having no way they would gain that knowledge. Yes, some villains have, have minions and magical spying, but there's no way they can know everything. It's just a metagaming arms race, then. That's the adversarial, and basically, the GM is just stroking their own ego. GMs that run uh, that just run combat to kill characters who never knock them out or take their stuff or ruin their reputation may be seen as adversarial. But really, it may be an opportunity for them to learn some options. Uh, you can give them some ideas during the mid-session break or even after the game. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Blake. That was insightful, man. I like that. Yeah. That that's all you had to say there's yeah. yeah we had two good we had two good things there. Stefan had a had a good idea and Blake's got some good stuff, and all you say is yeah. yeah. Damn, man. I know. All right. You you read Skies. All right. Sky Slayton. Hey, guys. So I waited to add this point to the Hidden Hit Points episode, and I'm glad I did because I think it's partially related to 171. To start out, Hidden Hit Points would work if it's a Session Zero discussion, but then again, most things are. Also, this is D&D-based. Personally, I would not use... Hidden hit points, because that number on the character sheet is a numerical representation of how fucked up your character looks slash is. So if Phytor, Rocky, is at two hit points after fighting Barbarian Apollo Creed, Cleric Adrian will be able to see that he got proper fucked. <laughs> well, Sky, you speak my language there. Keep going. On top of this, characters with any type of healing or combat experience would be able to know how hurt someone is or something is how well they know would be up to the GM. And if any went, if, and if you went over this in session zero, it should be fine. When my monsters get close to death, I tell my players, it looks like one more hit could put it down. Okay. Now on to how this combines DBZ fusion style with episode 171. Y'all define adversarial GMing. Well, I would argue that hidden hit points would be an unnecessary withholding of information that the player needs to supplement the information their character would know, thus making it harder for the player to be in character because the game world just got that much harder to imagine. That, Sky, is fucking brilliant, dude. That makes sense. I, I buy that. That's good. 
Keep going, so to, so to recap, talk about stuff in session zero. Then if anyone gets butt hurt, it's more about them not keeping to the agreement the table made. Thanks, Sky Slayton. P.S. Brett, you aren't wrong or adversarial. It's just that your play style is from an earlier generation of gaming. It's like the scene from Back to the Future, Enchantment Under the Sea dance. You are still playing the Earth Angel style of D&D, and newer players are Johnny B. Good. That, now I hate you, Sky. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's... God, I think I was just insulted in a very nice so way. Brett, Brett plays Earth Angel style. Well, if I have to. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> brother. Ow. Right, right in the ego he got me. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well said, though. I do like the, uh, the the withholding information that, and this ties directly to the sanity component, too, where I think I got shit from uh, Jared Rasher about running a game with no hit points but obviously having sanity points. Sometimes, I guess what you're saying, Sky, and I'm buying this right now, is that those numbers on the sheet help you play the character, right? And um, I, I get it. That totally makes sense. I like that. All right. Next up is Thomas Hook. <coughs> Holy cow, I think he's got three episodes worth of stuff here. So buckle in, grab yourself a coffee or beer, and uh, here we go. First on hidden hit points, after bringing up the subject with my players here at the Beholder's Horde Gaming Group, I feel you must have failed a sanity check after using some zip zaps. I'm just kidding. Evil giggling ensues, of course. Actually, I don't remember who said it, but I must agree with them. Must have been me. Right. It really <laughs> Probably me. It's really the removal of hit points, not hiding them. <clears throat> this could work with a replacement mechanic, say like levels of health, just uh, just off the cuff. Good, fair, poor, really hurting, down then dead. Maybe you could have great for when temporary hit points are in place. This would add uh, lots of upkeep for the DM, but could also allow him to customize encounters for theatrics and content. The NPCs would also be the same scale, allowing DM to uh, excuse me, excuse me, allowing the DM the chance to make sure an encounter accomplished what he expected or needed it to do. As DMs, we have all had that awesome encounter plan. Do you think to yourself, self, this will be great. The players will love this. It will be so cool. Then the players get initiative, and, well, so much for the encounter. It's over before it really began. Either through great tactical planning by the players or the dice gods for the PCs, you get the idea. Shit happens. What about healing? On the above scale, I would say low spell levels would bring you up one condition level. Higher spells might bring you up two or even three. I think it would be done. Uh, I think it could be done. It would be fun with the right mechanic in place. Oh, wait, there already is one. It's called hit points. <laughs> ah, you dick. <laughs> I, for one, like hit points and feel it's a tactical tool, not so much a metagaming issue. We have to remember the roots of D&D. It started as a one-soldier-per-player war game. In other war game, <clears throat> other, in any other war game, would you hide my resources like tanks or a number of foot soldiers from me? I don't want to get too lengthy, so hopefully I'll been able to convey my thoughts well enough. Fine, I'm wrong. He continues on. <laughs> Although I've started uh, what might be called the hidden initiative, I have the players roll four or five initiative rolls, and I mark them down before the game even starts. This allows me to seamlessly flow into an encounter <coughs> excuse me, without the typical, okay, roll for initiative. If the monster gets initiative, I'm like, Larry, um, two wolf jump out from the bushes and one bites your leg for three hit points. Mo, you see what happened, what do you do? Or Curly, a goblin readies his bow and aims at you, what are you doing? Then I proceed in order from there. My players are first like, what? But soon they could see the method to my madness, and they got on board with how well the encounters flow. As for show 176, I think the use of sanity and sanity can allow for some really great role-playing opportunities for the right players. Brett mentioned that most of the time when he tells the player that their PC is going insane, the player chooses to be the homicidal maniac or something else over the edge. 
I say this because that's what insanity looks like to this player. I like the use of the whole table discussion as a way for all the players in DM to get a feel for what's planned and expected. I agree with Sean on how he uses it. Wait, wait, what? <clears throat> I'm sorry. Rewind, please. Say oh, that again. I, it, it's, it's subspace transmission. It's really garbled here. <laughs> um, something about agreement with, uh, oh, um, how. Oh, oh the, cra- <laughs> the crowd already reads the cue cards. Damn it. The year of the Kelly. All right. I agree with Sean on how he uses the descriptors and what the PC is seeing or feeling to set the tone for this and future encounters or episodes. A lot of the things mentioned were either disabilities or what might be called challenges in today's world and not mental illnesses. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, gaming, gaming and BS is not, are not medical doctors, physicians, or treat mental illness, uh, physical illness, or anything uh, they're related. Yeah, that's true. best we could do is threaten people with stuff. We can't. can't now, that's about it. He continues. D&D is now being used as team-building workshops and even as therapy in many circles. One just has to Google Dungeons and Dragons as therapy to see the kinds of applications being used for. Or see Paladin Hood earlier this show. That's right. Um, which would make a great Paladin Hood segment. Paladin Hood is a great addition to the show, by the way. I like it a lot. Good job, guys. That one is all Sean. I'm going to say that right now. Just again, that was Sean's idea to pull that in there. So, oh, work. shucks. Good work, Oh, man. shucks, guys. Again, it's the year of the Kelly. What are you going to do? Oh, <laughs> now on to something really controversial. Adversarial Uh-oh. GMing. Oh, I've been playing since the early 80s. I must say, Brett, you're on the money when you spoke about how the early adventurers tried to kill the PCs, but this was the adventures, not the DM. All adventures should have death as a consequence for poor choices. If I said it once, I said it 100 times, DMs don't kill PCs, players kill PCs. For me, an adversarial DM is one who is against the players, not the player characters. Let's face it, if my PC goes in a dungeon or hunts dragons, <clears throat> he could die. D&D started as a war game. It has now evolved into so much more. Exploring... Um, as in the West Marches style of play, we have the mysteries to solve in the who-did-it style of game. We can rule a kingdom with political style games. There are so many different kinds of adventures out there. I've played in bunches of them. All the D&D label, all with death as a possibility. The game is Dungeons & Dragons, not coffee shops and theme bars. What? <clears throat> I always tell my players the adventure can kill you if you let it. I, as the DM, will not save your PC from death just because. If you run into the waiting mouth of a purple worm wearing nothing but a smile and carrying only a a bag to get the treasure, you're probably going to die. I don't and you th- probably should have a sanity check if you're only going in there. <laughs> Wearing a smiley, carrying a bag to get the treasure? Yes, probably. You're buck naked and going <laughs> towards the purple worm. Woo, party! He continues, I don't think a little bit of railroad is adversarial simply because some players can be adversarial, and no matter how many hints you give them, they just won't go there on their own. A good adventure is, a, is some sandbox with a clear path when needed and some short segues to keep the adventure moving along and lots of luck. The game does use random die rolls for some things after all. As always, it was another great show, and I'm looking forward to the next time and getting into game immersion. Well, sweet, man. That was Mr. Hook. That was lengthy and um, well thought out, sir. Thank well, you very much. Well done, yes, well indeed. Well done, indeed. Indeed. Over to you, Sean. Dave Wynn, part of... The winning team. There you go. I like it. Uh-huh. Greetings, Brett and Sean. With regards to adversarial GMs, I am completely against them. I would. I guess some would be for them. Who knows? Yeah, somebody. Some idiot out there is. Carry on. I love it. Bring it on. <laughs> First, I agree with Brett. Ah. Oh. We're used to that, though. People agree with me all the time. It's the other. It's the flip of it. That's weird. Touche. Um, that 
Playing in completely in a completely deadly game full of traps and pitfalls can be fun. The players need to know what they're in for ahead of time. Second, my main thought is that the GM's motivation and their antagonist NPC's motivation should not be the same thing. This is incredibly hard to do. As a GM, my goal should be to facilitate a world where evil antagonists are thwarting the PCs at every turn. By my NPCs should not have knowledge that I, as a GM, have about the PCs' playstyles or, ah, but, <laughs> let me rephrase that. As a GM, my goal should be to facilitate a world where evil antagonists are thwarting the PCs at every turn, but my NPCs should not have knowledge that I, as a GM, have about the PCs' playstyles or their nonchalance about checking for dragons hiding in corners. Instead, the adversary must gather this information on his own or through scouts or divination. Likewise, any adversarial GM is trying to play a game where they win, whereas not all PCs are trying to win. <laughs> Winning. From Dave. Keep, from Dave win. win. Yes, yes, I get it. Yeah, win, win. Win, win, win. Some PCs just want a beer and pretzels dungeon crawl to get better loot and level up. As for me, on the other hand, I prefer to have character development and great role-playing opportunities. I'm not usually trying to k just kill orcs and goblins for the sake of conquering them. Because of this, an adversarial GM is not competing for something that I'm not, that I'm not. and since the GM controls the NPCs, the world, and usually has final say in rules disputes, I'm kind of screwed from the start. Darn cat. Jay. Can you hear him now? Yeah, now I can hear him. Now ah, he's got loud. Normally I can't hear him at all. He's just kind of roaming around. Sean's got a couple of cats, and normally they'll, I'll see one roaming around the background or something, and for whatever reason now, this one's loud. The, the voice of Litterbox Studio. Okay. My apologies, everybody. I think the solution then is to have both players and the GM talk before the campaign about what they both want out of the game, as well as their expectations. That way the GM learns that no one is expecting them to flaunt how clever they are at setting unreasonable traps. Sorry for length. Looking forward to your immersion topic, and we'll see you at GaryCon. You know what I think is interesting is we've said this, a number of listeners have brought this up. <coughs> Excuse me, you know I've said it a thousand times. This is the episode zero, or, or um, es eh, session zero, not episode, session zero, where you talk. And it's this, the standard RPG joke is it's a social thing, and people aren't always very good at being social. And it isn't just like people socially awkward and so forth, but... Being willing to say, this is what I expect to do, are you okay with that? And being then for, therefore willing to make compromises. When we talk about an earlier style of GMing, it was, in my experience, very common for you as the player, a new player with a, with a group, to have to figure out the Game master style. No one told you. You would figure out that, oh, Brett likes to murder the fuck out of everybody. Oh, Sean won't kill your character no matter what. Oh, what? you know. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to squash that rumor. Yeah, but or you know, this is how Phil always runs like that. Oh, Sneezak does this, and hey, Eileen does it this way. You would figure that stuff out very rarely. I don't ever remember having a game master tell me this is how I run my game when I was much younger. Until I got into college, did anybody bother to say that? Usually because I would ask them specifically because I learned that by that point there's certain types of gaming I just don't fucking like. I would ask people, hey, so how do you like to run? And I go, oh, that sounds lovely. Do you want to play with me? Ah, busy on Saturdays, every Saturday, forever. Sorry, I can't. Or whatever happened. So interesting. It's uh, it, there's so much power in that discussion, just saying what you like, what you don't like, and what you expect to happen. 
in a very general sense. This is, there's so much power in that in this hobby. It's just it's it's amazing to me. It's kind of like sex. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Awkward pause. Yes. Yes, it is. <clears throat> yes, Sean, it is. <laughs> yeah, so enough time spent trying to figure something out, it just gets even more awkward. Okay, on that, so going back to G+, <laughs> Jared Rasher steps up and says, as Randy, talking about um, <coughs> Randy Farmer, the old school GM, as Randy rightly points out, most GMs have a portfolio that includes portraying adversaries, so they will technically be presenting an adversarial situation to the players. This, of course, is back to Randy's um, post that we mentioned last episode. Um, I think the best functional definition I can come up with for what an adversarial GM is is would be modified by assuming a degree of portraying adversaries in the game. In other words, if you have to note that the GM is adversarial, that implies the GM is employing more of an adversarial role than the baseline assumption that the game assumes. Ah, that's a damn well thought out. I'm going to have to read that again after the show, Jared. Qu- quite profound. Very nice. Because of that, it's going to be hard to pin down the exact definition of adversarial without going into the assumptions of the game and what the game instructs you to do as a GM. Damn good point, Jared. That said, most modern games seem to assume that you're going to let your players make informed decisions without the GM intentionally obfuscating information or using technicalities to trap players. Discussing games I have run or played in at my local convention recently reminds me of similar situations and the degree of adversarial GMing might be involved. And the degree of adversarial adversarial GMing, that might be involved. The first convention I went to, I played in a game where I told the GM that I was going to attack the villain in the room with my sword. The GM informed me that I was 10 feet away from the villain. I had failed to ask how far away I was, and I had failed to say I move up to hit him. So my character, despite being a 7th level fighter, stood 10 feet away from the villain, swinging my sword in place, and that was my turn. To me, that was an adversarial GM. I I have stories similar to that, Jared. Uh, either I have had or friends of mine have had. I've, I've met that asshole game master. Yeah, that's adversarial in my mind. On the other hand, I killed four out of six hunters in my convention Monster of the Week game. I didn't mislead any of the players. We went over exactly what would happen if they ran out of luck several times. Many times, when characters were about to do something ill-advised, I would describe the situation to them again and ask if they were sure they wanted to take the action they were about to take. For example, the hunter that was using a canister of accelerant as a bludgeon to, <laughs> with which to hit a flaming zombie. That's usually a bad idea, kids. Uh, when we reached the end of the scenario and the hunters were dropping their flies, I didn't really feel that bad, because they gave them ample opportunity to back out of some bad decisions and spent extra time reframing various situations so that they fully understood what I was detailing in the scene. So it may not be the most functional definition... But if you feel moved to add an adjective to the title, it's an indicator that the aspect of the GM's job is out of sync with the assumed baseline. I think that's some good stuff, Jared. Thanks, man. As always, good, good, good. I like it. Indeed. Over to you, Sean. Matt Martinez on the same thread. One of the members of Facebook's tabletop RPG one-shot group recently posted about a situation that came up in a game wherein a PC told the rest of the characters that he was going to send them a box of gold. Unbeknownst to the rest of the group, the players had slipped the GM a note letting him know that the gold was fake. They found out later, and when the players objected, the GM said that they never said they they examined the contents of the chest. The players argued that because the nature of the PC's alliance was tenuous and full of mistrust, best practices would have assumed that they would have checked the gold. 
but the GM wasn't having it. Obviously, this is an example of an adversarial player, but do you guys think this also sounds like an adversarial GM move? Yes. I absolutely think it does. Well, you know, I don't know, This, man. this goes right to Jared's thing. I attack him with my sword. Well, you just swing your sword in the air. Oh, it's the I same think- thing. Like, wait, you're telling me that my character, who is a dwarven miner and smith, who's worked with metal his entire life, picked up a fake wooden, a fake gold box. It's actually wood, painted to look like gold, and I wouldn't notice it. You're telling me that. Well, you didn't bother to check, so therefore you don't get to notice. Oh, fuck you. Well, so that's a debate on, on that's that, there's a debate there. That's the debate that Matt's talking about. Well, I agree, yeah. but it's like, I think the game... How do you play that game? So I think Jared's is a little different because... Well, what I'm saying is... I can't swing my sword and hit a freaking monster if I know I'm going to be 10 feet away and I'm just going to swing it and not be up against them. Well, it's a Game Master being a douchebag. This well, one is, right. and, this, and this other one, the Game Master is being a D-bag because they didn't say, all right, you give them... You want to give them a fake gold, Sean. Yes, yes Sean. Yes. And Brett would yeah. say, all right, they're going to get a check. So you roll uh, some kind of a <clears throat> something to give me a baseline of what they're going to check against because when they have it, there's a chance they're going to figure it out. Right. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, everybody get the box. Everybody give me a uh, check for a fake gold chess roll. All right, they check right. the – and they check and they all fail. Ha, ha, ha. And then when they're fucked later, they go, ah, damn. Oh, that's what the check for fake golden chess roll was for. Oh, curse you, Sean. Then that's legit. Right. I agree. This is that is all Un- about agency. You're taking away agency and knowledge and stuff, and just punishing them for fun. I agree that that's the case, but I also think that there are times when I don't know how detailed the players have to be in order when they're playing. Like how how much do you assume as a game master that something is going to take place without the players explicitly explaining that? So. I go into a room. Oh, you got you hit a trap. Well, I was searching for traps. Well, you never said you were searching for traps. Well, I'm a thief. That's what I do. We've, well, like, then, we've, then talked, we've that. talked about this before. One of the ways to yeah. curb that shit is as game master, or play, if the player doesn't think of it, as game master. All right, so you take the box. So it's just right. a gold box. You take it, stuff in your bag. You don't look at it. You don't check it out. Nothing. You stuff in the well, bag. Yeah, see, just stuff in a bag. Yeah, well, then you start, see, but then you start, I think if a DM or GM started doing that, I'd be like, oh, yeah, then of course I fucking check it now. Okay, so you just walk in the room, you don't bother to check, you just walk right in, right? Well, yeah, well, well, well no, no, I'm going to check. All right, you didn't say, well, so I'm checking. <laughs> so you right. check and nothing happens. Right. So next time through, you say, so do you do the check thing? Are you feeling pretty confident? What do you want to do? You don't have to do that every room, but the idea is, is that if you just swing your sword. Dude, you're 10 feet away. You can't just swing your sword. Do you want to charge well, up or what do you want to different- do? That's a different example. No, it's not. It's the same yeah, example. I, no, you're you're withholding data. You did not tell the player that you're too far away to hit with a sword. You're withholding the data of something. Yeah, you're withholding yeah. data, and that's yeah. where I think it's a dick move. Well, I think there's withholding data, and then there's do do the, does the person do something to unveil said data? Now, in Jared's instance, there is a physical. I see. Oh, yeah. My character would see that I am twenty feet yeah. away. And then this other one, the idea is that the game master should have enough knowledge to say, "Okay, give me a deception check. You guys give me a see through Sean's bullshit check. Oh, y'all failed. Right. Roll it privately. Do whatever you want sure. to do. So hang on, yeah. I got I got to make a couple checks. What's your skill? Okay, good. Thanks. I agree. I now for the freaking record, before people go, I agree with Brett. I am all on board, and I agree with Brett. 
But I do know sometimes players will will do things and they are assuming that everybody at the table knows what they're doing, even though they don't convey that shit. So the uh, I've got a topic. It's um, not next one, but the one after adversarial players. So we're going to cover Ooh. it there in two, in two shows. So. <laughs> anyway, you've, got, you've right. got some more here to do. Yeah, where the hell am I? Right. Okay, so, but the GM wasn't having. Obviously, this is an example. Okay, so we answer that. Ari, Shadow of the Demon Lord. I understand what Sean is saying about not needing another F20 game, but the Shadow of the Demon Lord offers a very specific experience. I had a concept for a survival horror campaign in a fantasy setting, and I initially planned to run it using D&D 5e. After I picked up Shadow of the Demon Lord, it seemed almost as if it were designed for my planned setting. Apart from that, I also really love the changes it made to the usual D20 system. I highly recommend checking it out. So, thanks, Matt. Um, I, you know, I, I know and I'm sure it's a great game. I have no no reservations about it. And maybe, maybe I will. Maybe. Maybe. You know, Matt, you should... I should play in Matt's game. That's what you should do. That's what I should do. That way you've got that, a chance to try it. Yeah, all right. And it would be super awesome. All right. Thank you, yeah. Matt. Thanks, Matt. God damn, I think we're gonna we're gonna pull on this director. We're gonna go long tonight, kids. All yeah, right. It's, well, it's already gonna be a little long. <laughs> yeah, it is. Old school DM writes in and says, As I wrote before, adversarial is completely the wrong word. No one agrees with what it is, and I know it when I'll see it is the ultimate proof of inadequate vocabulary. As, we're we're, we're going to get red on this one. <laughs> As Brett did at least three to four times in the podcast, let's stick with dick or other terms describing malicious or thoughtless intent. Let's stop misapplying a perfectly good term describing a highly desirable DM behavior and recasting it to be a stereotypical term of derision. We already have better words for that. I think mixing railroading in a synonym symptom was particularly confounding. I have no idea what that was about. Perhaps this is another indicator for need for tech. Uh, terminology revision. <clears throat> uh, thanks for the call out. Like so many things in our hobby and life, we all quickly um, we're quick to to name categorize and lazily judge others as being in or out or good or bad. Even when we can't even define the taxonomy well enough to agree on meaning or social value. I would uh, <clears throat> I would like is all to I would like us all to do this less, myself included. Well, tell you, old school man, that is that was the purpose of kind of the the episode, right? Just to talk it through, and if nothing else, even if Sean and I could not come up with a solid definition of what it is, sometimes you got to look back, <clears throat> look back at it, and go, God, this word just it doesn't cut it, you know. And sometimes it's just a matter of you need to get grab a thesaurus, you need to get a different term, you need to come up with instead of trying to encapsulate a thing in one phrase, you know, you do what what Jared Rasher did and say, Hey, this is a type of DM behavior. Maybe there's a better term for it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Perhaps coming up with a definition and then finding a word that fits it versus finding a easily grabbed word and then trying to cram a definition into that thing. So, fair point, man. I like it. Yeah, thanks, old school DM. Are we ready? I think we are, man. Let's get out of the main topic. Here we go. <laughs> Adversarial GMs tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're just gonna use the term all the time inappropriately. A- actually, AKA dickheads. <laughs> actually, uh, Matt asked back on uh, some feedback on uh, our episode one seventy six random encounter. Matt asked gave us some feedback. He was talking about immersion, and um, Phil and Chris have talked about this, and Bob, of course, back on Destructive Mark, different levels and whatnot. 
And immersion is interesting to me. And I've listened to other people define what they think it is, and people say you can't ever have it, and blah, 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 or it's only, it's blah. It's another definition thing. So instead of, I want to take this one and uh, kind of find a dictionary definition, start there. So immersion itself um, is the act of immersing someone or something in a liquid, which I kind of like because I sometimes it's fun to play drunk. Maybe that's that's what that we could use that we could use that. It's also right. <laughs> immersion also means a deep mental involvement. So, for example, his immersion in Jewish culture, as opposed to uh, something well, you know, immersed in the icy Atlantic Ocean. It's also a method of teaching uh, of teaching a foreign language by ex- exclusive use of that language, usually at a special school. So think about people will tell you, oh, the best way to learn a foreign language is to be immersed in it. If you're in Spain, you better learn how to speak friggin' Spanish, right? It's going to help drastically. Or, yeah. hey, <clears throat> when in Rome. When in Rome, exactly. <laughs> or if you're guys like Eric Lamoureux or Stefan Dragonspawn, you want to learn you want to learn how to play role playing games, you've teach yourself English so you can so you can buy these games, which is freaking amazing. Anyway, um native French speakers from uh Canada. Anyhow, the um <clears throat> I think I I think there's some pieces around this around metagame and so forth, and I'm wondering, Sean, does when someone says I want you know I want more immersion in my game, I want to feel immersed in the game, is that something you, Sean, do you care about? Or what does it make I guess first off, what does it make you think of? Does it make you think of being drunk, or does it make you think of being deeply involved, or what are you thinking there? When you when you make, hear that, when you hear that, what does it make you think? I get a big container <laughs> of water, <laughs> and I fill it with dice, and then I immerse the player into that water. Nice, full on baptism. Then, that's what we do. Yes. Oh, hey, religious reference. No, seriously though, do you when you think of your gaming, do you think like, yeah, I like I like immersion in my gaming? Does that bother you? Or do you, is that not even? something you care for or look for or even think about i do care about it and i do enjoy it so how would you define it sean when you feel Im- <laughs> when you feel immersed in the game what do you think what's happening for you ah in the game yeah well so some examples may include um speaking in a particular voice oh like we uh like we talked about with your trailer cthulhu guy acting right. with an accent and therefore kind of fitting in that space okay cool that's right Maybe uh, maybe talking in first person versus my character. I do this. I do that. Got it. Okay. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's um, narr- narrating uh, uh, quite a bit of stuff, right? So Dungeon World's big on the narration. Mm-hmm. So you sp- instead of saying, well, I swing my axe or I attack, right? I attack, roll my dice. It's... I roll up to that thing, I pull out my sword, and I stab it in its freaking neck. Yeah, a little more descriptive, something more yeah. oomph to it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, with all my weight and power. Do you feel that... Okay, I'm, I'm buying that. I like that. I have, I've I've talked to some people, and one of the things that people will say they don't like certain games for, crunchiness of GURPS or crunchiness of Pathfinder, is that they will say that the rules, or fate, we heard this from... A, from a, uh, a listener a while back was talking about somebody complaining that fate ruined their immersion. <clears throat> this is God. There's a lot of episodes back. I can't remember which one. So if you can't remember yourself, just start at one and work your way forward to find it. Um, but right. so when the rules come into play, um, when you have to stop to look up a rule, does that take you 
does that ruin your immersion, Sean? Does that bother you? It could. Like, so, it, like, if it takes, like, a half hour to find a special rule for grappling, you're like, fuck, now I'm out of it. Now I'm playing a game. Does that is that what your brain's telling you or what? It, yeah, to some degree. But it could also stop the flow of the game. So if, okay. you, if you equate the flow of the game, so I think there's two different things there at play if you have to look up a rule. Okay. One could be the immersion piece. If you're talking about I'm playing in a game and I'm immersing myself into the role play, into the scene, into the situation, into the scenario, whatever that, how you define that. And then all of a sudden, stop, open up a book. We have to look that up. So it's not part of the continuing piece of the situation. It's that has to stop. I have to get out of that and look up a rule. And then hopefully be able to judge dive right back into where you were, where you were. And then get back into it mm. and pick up where you left off within the game. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I got you. For, so, for me, whenever when I think about immersion, that component of it, <clears throat> my group and I really like that piece, right, where you're just going. That's one of the reeling, reasons why I tend to be rulings over rules. And if someone at the table knows the rule, I'm very fortunate. Alpha is like <clears throat> the world's best rules lawyer because he just knows all the freaking rules. He's great. But if you don't have that person who's a decent non-dickhead rules lawyer to just rant, rant, rattle stuff off like that constantly for you, um, making a ruling at the table, then going back and figuring it out after, which we've talked about before. That's one of the reasons I do it is because I want the flow to move, keep going. You'll see the excitement in people's eyes. They're going. They're rolling dice. They're attacking. Even they're having just a conversation with the king or with um, somebody on a Star Destroyer trying to figure out how to smooth talk the way past something. And, <clears throat> excuse me, getting... Using the mechanics doesn't wreck the immersion as long as it flows, at least for my group. So if we're in that moment, we're talking, and we say, okay, like when we were playing um, in your Star Wars game, the FFG stuff. Okay, so it's two purples, three greens, da-da-da-da, go. Great, bam it. We were in the moment, and we didn't stop, go and necessarily look up specifically how this carousing mechanism or whatever would work. We made a call based on what we had for dice or what made the most sense. I'm picking Krausing out of my pocket. But that, <clears throat> even with the, the tea leaf reading of the die colors and blah, 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 it had no, it didn't impact, for me anyway, what it felt like to be immersed in that game. When I was done with that session, we would play for two to four hours. I'm like, holy shit, four hours just blew by. Damn, it's midnight. I got to get to bed. When my group and I are playing, one of the things that has honestly kept me out, out of gaming at cons a lot of times is the distraction having a private place to play like my buddy's basement where he's got i posted pictures up before he's got this great bar his wife makes homebrew it's just amazing he's got lights he's got a sound system miniatures book it's just awesome and uh, even if that's not there even if it's just in my house with my kids i go to my library room where where i record here clean off the table boom you sit down and you game and you shut the rest of the world out and I think, for me, immersion isn't... Uh, it's easier to feel like I'm immersed in the character, I'm immersed in the world, and so on, if it's just me and my gaming friends, whether it be my kids, my wife is playing with me, or whatever's going on. I don't want the rest of the world to bother me. It's actually more annoying for me <clears throat> to stop because the guy delivering pizza rings the doorbell than it is to um, look up a rule. Because at that moment, we're immersed in the game, the entire concept of the game, and um, I hate being drug out of it. Like having to step outside 
to go get the pizza. Or, hey, we got to run and go get dinner. Oh, we forgot. Oh, I got to go get, I got to go, you know, dog is sick. I got to go take the dog. Oh, I got to go do this thing because my wife, I got to run an errand real quick. That sucks. He's getting drug out of that thing. So for me, that immersion immersion is more of just being there and focusing on gaming. Nothing else is there. I don't think about work. I don't think about my family. I don't think about anything else going on. I don't think about hunting. I don't think about kids. I don't think about that near accident I had, uh, riding motorcycle. I don't think about anything else. I'm just gaming. That's what I'm doing. And for me, that is the best type of immersion that I can go for. If if people are in character and they're totally grooving on it, that's great. But playing the game and just focusing on it, I think all the rest of it, for me, comes a lot easier. I don't know if that long way to go, but I think that makes sense. Brad so. puts on his game face. <laughs> Put my game face on. That's he's it. like a, He's like an NFL player about to hit the field. <laughs> it's all about the game. I'm in the game. Is everybody with me on the game? So I have uh, <clears throat> my buddy Zave has done. Uh, he's done sound systems for different bands, just local stuff at bars and other places. And um, before people go out to do something, they get nervous, right? Sure. And uh, he was. <clears throat> we're at a convention. I was going to run, and he's like, "Dude, you don't have to do that." I'm like, "What?" He goes, "You're doing the whole weird Showtime thing." I'm like, "What?" He goes, "Like you're like trying to get your head in this weird Showtime. zone." Showtime. I'm like, "The fuck I am." <laughs> he's like, "Oh, you're totally doing it. I've seen this before." I'm like, "Ah." But Showtime. I, honestly, it it's a it's a thing where I want to be <laughs> in that in that zone if there's such a thing, and that to me is immersion. I don't I mean I know some people have different definitions of what that is, but that is <clears throat> so I guess to me, understanding what you like from an immersion perspective and me saying, Hey, this is this is you know, this is the type of immersion I prefer and if Kevin says, Hey, I really like to feel this about my characters like an emotional gut punch or this is immersion for me so I can have this visceral feel and someone else says this is their other style, again it's that all about talking. I think if you <clears throat> If you hash that out and talk about it, it's easier to understand why, if you're gaming with Brett, my preference is I like a, a space that's just us. Obviously, you can't get that at a con. I'll run games at conventions now. It's not the end of the world. But I do my best to shut out the rest of the world around me and just focus on the table and what's going on. And I feel the best con games I've run, um, the Wraith game I ran at GameholeCon last, this last GameholeCon, was the better of the games I ran because I was able to block out everything else. I had no idea <clears throat> that there were even other people watching us or paying attention to what was going on because it was just me and the table, and that was it. I didn't give a shit about anybody else around us. When I ran Iron <laughs> Shoes, my Avalon game... Brett's in the zone. <laughs> it was. And when I ran my Iron Shoes game, I felt really kind of out... I felt distracted, and that bothers the hell out of me. So Sean's just laughing at me. I can see it. I, just, <laughs> I can see it in his face. That's I just awesome. it, it, there is just something about it where it's like putting on the game face. <laughs> put on the game face, you know. Get like, in there, man. It's like this weird ritual. Like Brett's pacing in the locker room all by himself, headphones <laughs> on, nothing else is affecting him. Going back and forth, slapping himself on the shoulders. Ooh, 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 you just ooh. you don't do anything like that. What's wrong with you? <laughs> You don't you don't like go out and like you know kill something with your bare hands just before the game just to get the feel for blood or nothing. You don't do any of that. No, I'm <laughs> I'm I, I say a prayer to Jabu. <laughs> nice. If you don't know that reference? Let me know. I don't actually. What is that? That's uh, the uh, baseball game, Major League, the movie. 
Oh, okay. Jabu. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God. That's right. Oh, Jabu. my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah He's yeah. like pours him a little rum, and that guy's <laughs> yes, like, it's... fuck. Fuck Jabu, and then he gets like cursed. Yeah, that's right. He's got this little voodoo, voodoo, yes, like yeah. ritual before he goes to the game. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Serrano, I think is his name. <coughs> is it Serrano? I can't remember. I can't remember either. Not yeah. Christian, sexy voice, Serrano. Different Serrano. That's not to be mistaken. Not to mistake Christian. For. Although I think that, yeah, I don't know. So let me ask you this: Is um, obviously, I how how. I, well, I just said it's really valuable to me. How valuable is it to you? I mean, if you're playing a game and you don't have, you know, Brett's immersion or your immersion, does that throw you out of a game? You're like, eh, it wasn't that fun. I was kind of there, but it was, I could have played checkers that have been the same. Does it? Does not having, you know, being able to talk in character, you know, having constantly look up rules, having the flow disrupted, does that... <clears throat> Does that deep mental involvement, not having that, does that screw with you? Does it make the game less enjoyable for you? Mm, um, I, I, I don't know. I can't say. I... It's it's hard to say. It's it's kind of situational. Like <laughs> this, I is, be... this is a, this is it depends with with a no. thesaurus. That's <laughs> what happened. Sean is a, I can see it, ladies and gentlemen. He's a thesaurus on his lap. He's looking up. No, no, that is not true. Not true. I've true. grown. I've grown as an individual. Yes. It, it does not always uh, a depends response, Brett. All right, all right. That was twenty seventeen. Oh, that's Sean. right. This is the year of the Sean. This, <laughs> this is the year of the Kelly. <laughs> Stepping it up. This is twenty eighteen, baby. So I'll tell you, man. For me. The uh, the definition I gave at the top there, deep mental involvement in the game itself, everything that's going on, paying attention to the world, understanding what's going on, that makes a really good game session for me. If I don't have that, it's an average gaming session. I still like gaming with my friends, but if I don't get that, and at a con, <clears throat> if I don't get that, I'm like, eh, it was good, it was fine. People seemed to have fun, I, yeah, it was fun. It wasn't like, oh my god, that was so good. You know, when I'm done, I feel tired. I'm mentally exhausted because when you're, you know, really deeply mentally involved in it, it's, it, it takes, it's stressful in a way because you're just, you're really going and you're really into it. And if it's not there, it's like, eh, it was good. Was it the best? Nah, it wasn't quite the best, but it was pretty good. But you, on the other hand, you just don't care. You'll get your kicks wherever you can. <laughs> I think it's a combination <laughs> of a few of those things though. Okay. I, th- I think it's a combination of being at the game and knowing that you're there, okay, so on the Brett side of things, knowing I'm going to go to a game and that's what we're going to do for the next two to f- six hours or whatever it is, yep. right? Okay, great. Now, mine probably isn't isn't as strict as Brett's because, you know, I like pizza. So the pizza guy or gal could show up um, all down with pizza. See, that's just wrong. I know it's wrong, but. You'll probably still eat the damn pizza regardless, Brett. What I, I actually don't eat much while I game because I, it's distracting. <laughs> Such a whatever. All right. So then the other part is knowing what's going on and being involved, right? Whatever that is, however you define that, whether that's I'm in the scene, I'm talking in a voice or portraying my character in first person or interacting with the NPCs or being – Knowing whose turn it is, which is another piece of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Where I've found myself at times where it's like, oh, shit, my turn? Okay, what was Sean doing? Ah, I was dinking around on his phone. Ah, so that's yeah. kind of the, uh, that's the lack of involvement there. You're not, you're not right. in it. Right, 
Right. So being involved in that, and then I would say, um, yeah, I would say it was it's a combination of that those those things. So, <clears throat> two questions for you. I'll ask this: Meta gaming does that throw you out then? Ah, meta gaming. Ah, I don't know. Because I think there is certain times when metagaming is not a bad, is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's, I think there's also times when it shouldn't be the emphasis of the situation. But I also see that there are times when it's okay. Okay. So again, <clears throat> it goes back to what the situation is specifically, I think. Okay. So I think, yeah, I don't know. So that, no, that <clears throat> that's fair. I think it's. Some games, um, some games are like that. Yeah, some like some games do. almost mechanically encourage metagaming, right? Right. Um, so let's let's take it the other way, or not the other way, but let's take it from this angle. So if I'm at a table, <clears throat> and I am the most game face guy there, that doesn't necessarily bother me, <clears throat> unless the other men and women who are playing with me are essentially really checked out or don't take it seriously. Right, and seriously, isn't like you know this is life and death because it is just a game or it's fun, it's and whatever. But you know, <laughs> get in the get in the goddamn game. Look at roll with you, Brett. Brett. Brett is the Bobby Knight. He's the Bobby Knight game master. Throwing chairs, screaming at people. That's right. War- fire warning shot across the table. Fuckers, <laughs> get in the goddamn game. Anyway, um, just. Frickin' read the room description. <laughs> if someone's clearly not paying attention, that irritates the crap on me. As a player, it actually bothers me more because doing a lot of game mastering, when someone is not paying attention, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? And I look at the game master, I'm like, do you want me to hit him, or do you, are you just gonna verbally slap him, or do you want me to say something? Because I think it's rude to not pay attention. So it it can ruin. Ruins a strong word, but it can impact my enjoyment of the game if people aren't bothering to pay attention and take it seriously. Um, Brett, are you you are you are a serious <clears throat> game master? Is that a safe is that a safe statement? I I joke, I tell jokes, we have fun. You do, yeah. Well, you've run somebody... with me, dude. Oh yeah, <clears throat> you played with me. I don't remember ever laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, with a full Nelson and your head stuck in a toilet, that's pretty yeah. hard to do. Everybody else was laughing. <laughs> Everybody else was having a good time. <laughs> Anyway, you don't remember laughing? Come on, you guys laughed. Well, I don't, I mean, it was serious, man. It was called Cthulhu. It's deep, deep, you know. Fine, fine, fine. Wow. So anyway, I I guess I'm serious. I don't know. Serious, you're making serious sound like a bad word now. (laughs) Well, I mean, when I, I don't think being serious is bad, but I'm also like, there's also some people, when you get to the table, it, it's, it is literally freaking game time, man. I am not all that other shit. You hey, all right. Small talk. That shit ends right now. Yeah, I can't do that. That's that's too far. Yeah, that's too far. Well, it is a hobby. It is I a think, hobby. After and, all, and, right? and there's it's, a yeah. I don't. I'm not getting paid for this. And there's there's clearly a at least in my opinion, there's clearly a time. Sometimes you look up a rule. Somebody says something that's just funny. It's like got a double triple entendre. Like <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. I mean, those jokes happen. Oh my god. Yeah, that's that reminds me of that other time when we. Were, oh my god. And the Monty Python joke comes out or whatever else happens. It's fine. When that stuff happens all the time, the game devolves into just a you know, casserole of nonsense. That's a bit much for me. But I think 
if I'm the most serious person at the table and everybody else is just doesn't give a shit and they're just here to basically it kind of goes to what uh, one of the listeners was saying above is if you're looking to sit down, play a beer and pretzels game, kill orcs and take their stuff. And that's not what I came for or not what we agreed upon. <laughs> then that gets a little cranky. Then it can, I can get a little cranky about that. Sean, does that, does, have you ever had your, uh, your immersion ruined by somebody else? Your level of what you like? Oh yeah, I've had I've had a gamer at the table, a close personal friend of mine I've known for years get like twenty thousand text messages in an hour, which which and then he that did, so it's not the twenty thousand text messages in an hour, it's the fielding of those text messages which contributes to that individual being bopped out of the game, not knowing what the hell it's going on and not paying attention, and therefore that is a problem. So. Every once in a while, I get it. Like, hey, I lost track, or hey, I had to go to the bathroom. What's going on? What's new? Hey, I got a soda. What'd they say? I get that. That's not a big deal. I mean, you know, that's I, kinda... I'm on call from work periodically. I've got friends of mine who are on call. Shit breaks. You got to go. What the <laughs> hell? That shit should be shut down, Brett. <laughs> shut down game time. I'm working on it. Yeah, the enterprise is shut down. Hey, tough shit. I'll get to it after <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, once I'm done fighting a dragon, I got serious shit to do here. Oh, yeah, China isn't up. What the fuck do I care? <laughs> right. I'll get to it when I get to it. whoop de frickin do. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> Come on, priorities, people. Exactly. So it's happened to me. Yeah, absolutely. So do you, is there, do you take steps personally to ensure that you get the immersion that you're looking for? You know, that you're involved. Yeah, I don't, in, I don't, in, I don't invite that guy back to the table. <laughs> That's a very good point, actually. If you got people who, and this is one of the reasons why I try to, you carefully pick the people I want to game with because I want to game with people who um, in my home group that are serious. Obviously, at a convention, well, you get it's kind of luck of the draw. Whoever wants to play with you, I assume everybody there to be serious because they're at a freaking gaming convention for Christ's sake. But I don't just pick anybody. Say, hey, come game with my home group; it'll be great, and then find out that they aren't serious about it. You know. Well, that's the key to this whole damn hobby, right? And that sometimes gets us in trouble, and sometimes it's it's kind of the deal. You know, we, we want to game with people that have a similar type of approach to gaming. It may not be the exact same. It may not have the exact same sentiments. But at least philosophically speaking, at a higher level, they've got to be somewhat in the understanding realm. Or you just understand that that person's going to be the joker at the table and you don't really give a shit. And then you've just known them for years and years. And it's all it's just kind of par for the course. Yep. Um, but I've seen it, that. Yeah. You got to have that kind of chemistry and trust and some of that stuff at the same time at the table. So if we talk, if we go back to like the deep mental involvement definition of immersion, because that's pretty much what we're going for here. It's like, yeah. look, I've you know, got my game face on. I want to be deeply involved. Sean wants to be a talking character, do his thing, get involved. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I have found as a game master one of the ways to help invoke that at the table and to get other people in the same space is to either is to provide as dis, as uh, evocative and narrative dis, type of descriptions as I can when I'm describing something. I do my best to try to pull that out, and then when a player says something boring, I try to elicit a better description out of them. And uh, when people say they're going to do something really cool, reward them in some way, saying, "Well, yeah, okay, you're doing X. That was very evocative. Really great narration. Here's a." 
you get advantage or you have a bonus die or I'll give you a plus two or a or a treat <laughs> or a treat. Yeah, some kind of a Scooby snack. Some kind of a you you can go get a slice of pizza. You may have Scooby, pizza. Scooby yeah, snack. You, you may be fed. Good gamer. Go get go get a snack. <laughs> oh my god. <clears throat> but I honestly think that I mean it's simple things like, and I just I'm checking the notes here, but you know the by as the game master and as a player. Um, for me, when I'm giving out descriptions and stuff, I try not to, unless necessary, like, hey, you take 10 points of damage because we're using hit points because apparently that's what all smart people do is they use hit points. And uh, <laughs> we need to mark that off on a character sheet. Does the system have hit points? <clears throat> of course it does. Well, there you go. Um, you know, the giant swings, massive club, crush, you take 25 points of damage. Holy crap, off you go. But you don't necessarily you don't describe everything in mechanical terms if you use and this is kind of just goes into being descriptive and again evocative in in what you're telling the players and the same as the players back to each other and back to the game master the more you can do that speaking about it are you freaking kidding me something in melbourne just went down are you fucking kidding me right now why do i care about this anyway um <laughs> i got a text <laughs> just, just want to let you know sean i'm a little are you on call yeah Seriously? Yeah, I got a problem. I got a People at your level are on call? Yeah. It's... What the hell is that shit about? Yeah, I'm just going to get fixed. Anyway. You need, to, you need to talk to another recruiter and find a different job. I should. <laughs> God damn it, I've got talent. I was in the game, and someone took me out of it. I'm going to murder that's someone right. right now. You were immersed in this I was podcast, immersed, and now it's and gone. now you're... That's Start over. Shot, Fuck it. Shot, done. Shot, shot to shit. And done. Anyway. Where the hell was I? Back into it. So, you know... When someone's paralyzed, you know, the ghoul reaches out, black clawy talons hit you, and you're paralyzed. You feel your muscles solidify, and you stop. You're like, shit, how long does this last? You don't know. I, you know, don't go, well, roll a d4. It's four rounds or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> trying not to talk mechanics at the table is kind of almost a metagamey thing. For me, helps with that deep mental involvement. If I'm, it's, I, I, again, I don't mind mechanics at the table, but when they're not necessary it makes sense to withhold them or to use other narrative ways to, uh, to describe things that helps for me. And I try to do that. You know, there's something to be said about the immersion piece and what you were just saying, Brad, exactly, which is the, the player characters there, there are, this goes back to metagaming. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think is, is that bad, Sean? Is that not bad for you? Whatever. And I say that if a player, character would know in some way or another then great but if the player player character would not know and it's then why would the player well maybe that's being a little harsh maybe a little too black and white but it goes back to what you were saying with well you don't you know you don't know how long you're going to be paralyzed for as opposed to click all right you're paralyzed for three rounds okay this is the third round you should be unparalyzed yep some, I mean, some people actually like to know because they play a very tactical game, and for them, part of the immersion. And this is where I think groups, DMs, players, game masters, and all that stuff—we having the talk and understanding right. and understanding what it means for you to be immersed. Some people are like, look, I like to play an uber tactical game, <clears throat> and knowing that I paralyzed the bad guy for three rounds, or that he's paralyzed my partner for three rounds helps us figure out how to defeat this thing. I mean, the whole game is a tactical back and forth, this chess match of who can defeat the Ogre Lord. Great, if that's how you guys get your kicks, and that's the way it goes. It's not my style of gaming, but if you really enjoy that, then that type of immersion 
is is awesome because you want to share that knowledge. You want to share that mechanical knowledge because then you're using that back and forth. It's a little more wargamey in my opinion, but I know some people who really enjoy that. But I think whatever deep mental involvement, to go back to the definition one more time, whatever deep mental involvement means to you, I think it's it's worth a little bit of introspection to figure out, hey, that's what it is. You know, I like to be serious about it. So what does serious mean, Brett? Well, that means I don't like distractions. I like to be in the moment. We can have some table talk, some goofing around. We can tell some jokes, but then Brett will say, all right, back to the game. All right, enough about that. Hey, stop that, guys. we got to focus over here. And making sure that everybody understands that. I think that introspection, talking about it at the table, is is really good because this goes kind of to adversarial jamming in a way in that, and I think I mentioned it earlier, is don't assume the rest of the group is just going to figure out how you play because no one is required to sit back and go, boy, I think this is – Sean seems irritated. I bet he doesn't like the fact that we're all on our cell phones during the entire game. Man, I've done 178 freaking episodes. If somebody doesn't know by now, <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, that's for you. Uh, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? True. We got to – as players and game masters, don't – I think assuming someone will figure it out. Oh, they'll they'll figure out how I run my games. Ha, ha, ha. Um, or they'll figure out that this is the style of play I like. Uh, that's just crap, honestly, at this at this point. This is to uh, get to the Johnny B. Good side of things. Talk about this shit instead of – you know, earth angeling it and just bring it and saying, well, they'll figure it out. Don't do that. Explain, hey, I like to be deeply involved in my games, and that means I like I don't want to play in an open gymnasium with a basketball game going. It's not comfortable for me. I'd prefer to play someone's house, a library, something. That's my preference. Oh, well, we can't have that. We can only play over here. Fine, we can let that go. But I want to make sure we're serious when we're playing. What do you mean by that, Brad? Well, I like this. And Sean says, well, you know, um, I don't like a lot of metagaming. Can we have, you know... Telling me how many rounds I'm paralyzed for just takes me out of the game. I don't like that. I like to be focused on these things. And sometimes immersion may be a topic that people don't think about. I think as such, sometimes people talk about how they like certain style of play or certain things to to come up. But if they really, you know, if someone says, hey, look, I, I really like an emotional gut punch in my game, that emotional type of play, that's a that goes to immersion. I'm feeling I'm in the game. I'm feeling deeply involved in this thing when these activities happen or these phrases are used with me in the game. And that's, and, uh, that, that, that's what you like. And I think it's definitely worth saying that out loud to the group. All right. I think we hit this one enough. What do you think? Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So obviously we're probably, someone's going to tell us we're wrong. Well, if there's something where where somebody's like, yes, you did all this and you said all that, but what I'm trying to look for is X or Y, let us know. Um, we're certain, certainly willing to elaborate for sure. Especially Matt. I mean, this was a topic that you brought up to us, so I hope Sean and I hit what you're talking about. And if not, um, come back at us and uh, we will fine-tune where we, where we can for you, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Die roll. Die roll. Clicky, clicky. Die roll, Brett. Start us off, buddy. So Eric Tenkar from Tenkar's Tavern, a patron of the show, friend of ours, uh, pointed out, this is how I learned it, but Mayfair Games is no more. Longstanding Mayfair Games, been around for quite some time. Um, but, <coughs> excuse me, from the look of it, after 36 years, not an easy decision or one we took lightly, but it was necessary. Um, 
Uh, they reached out to Asmodee, and they're pleased to announce that they have sold our games to Asmodee North America, who have acquired all the assets to Mayfair Games Incorporated. Acquisition includes a product line for both Mayfair Games Incorporated and Lookout Games, and so on. Interesting. So Mayfair Games, she is no more. It's been one of those uh, game companies that's been around as long as I've been gaming. It's just kind of a staple. So... I can't tell if it's sad or not, but uh, hopefully Asmodee will do some good things with it. And uh, this has been making its rounds. Old Spice. <laughs> they put together a D&D class. A little link in the show notes to this uh, over to thenerdist.com. It's just funny. It's a, a gentleman class for Dungeons & Dragons. It just, it's hilarious to me. Anyway, this is out there. And uh, if you haven't seen it yet, take a look. It's worth a chuckle. Sean, over to you, sir. Mr. Chris Hoffer posts on comicbook.com the article Publisher Releases Game of Thrones Style Campaign Compatible with D&D. So if you're interested in a Game of Thrones Style Campaign compatible with D&D, you'll want to check that one out. I think it's like... It's called Cell Swords. Grim yes. and Gritty. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, number Dose... Lord of the Rings pinball made out of Lego. <laughs> oh my god, I'm looking at this. This is awesome. Posted by Andrew Lazuski on io9. Check that out. It's uh, pretty freaking cool. Lord of the Rings and Lego, two of my favorite things. I am a I'm a bigger fan of the traditional pinball machine, maybe even just the digital. The old ones, even the old analog ones were kind of cool, but I I think the digital ones are cooler. I haven't I've not played enough pinball. Kind of neat though. Anyway. Pinball wizard. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Our D another number three are D and D gems based on any sort of real science. So what? I remove I removed the YouTube video from, from the blog article that was very much not blog article and just linked directly to the YouTube video. It's about five minutes. It talks about the weight of gold and how much like how much gold would a diamond be or how Actually many worth. gems? Yeah, kind of thing. So a buddy of mine had uh, I have a currency exchange, obviously. How many coppers equals a silver equals a gold piece from Avalon setting. And my buddy Lenny happens to be a coin collector. So he went out and got some gold coins and copper and silver. And has enough so that you can have one copper's worth of silver and then enough copper's worth of gold and put them in different bags and it's crazy how many, <laughs> how many like a thousand gold, silver pieces is. That's a lot of freaking coins. It's fucking heavy. <laughs> Once yeah. you physically see it, it's it's nuts. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. And from listeners' perspective, Eric Farmer had pointed us out to some hand drawn equipment packs. So, link in the show notes to this basic weapons new item card pack. It's kind of cool. It's a little um, some hand drawn card packs. You can take them, fold them backpacks, boxes, all sorts of uh, different bits and pieces. So kind of cool. Wanted to share that out with everybody if you hadn't seen it on the Google Pluses where you posted it. And that's it, man. Thanks, everybody. What are we talking about next week, Bratster? We're going to talk about the Pure Mongrel gave us a really nice, very lengthy, but really good uh, Gmail post. We haven't heard from Mongrel in a while. Talk about, you know, leading the forefront of Paladin Hood out there as he is. But um, talking about keeping the energy up in your games. It's all about, because I figured we would go from immersion to keeping the energy up. Because you got to get your fucking game face on, Sean. Get in the game, man. Where's the energy? 
Those my speakers. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about that next time. Oh, excellent! All right. Well, having said that, that's a wrap. So, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Pladian, Remy Bellado, Jason Hobbs, Hobbs, Wayne Humfleet, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Todd McGowan, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Merkel Freilich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Michael Drescher, Wiss Static, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Ron Blessing, Chris Steele, Eric DeHoff, Hoffman, Soldiers of Misfortune RPG, Christopher Lang, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, JV, John Hammersley, Derelict Radio, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Glayman, Sky, Roger Brasslett, Evan Harrison, Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Scannis, the Knights of the Night Crew, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Gordon Cranford, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, and Graham Minert. In order to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us for ways to support us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.